0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a fentanyl surge in Minnesota. The Dayton's mummy monkey is heading to the Science Museum and an attempt to break a record on the Mississippi River. But first... The Minnesota legislature is in its final push this weekend to finish the 2018 session with Sunday's midnight deadline looming. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, they still have a lot left to do. That is for sure, Scott. I want to give folks a general idea of the big
1: issues in this final weekend of the legislative session. But everybody, please realize that things are moving very fast and evolving very quickly. I suspect most people just want to know when they're going to get her done. But if you are one of those like me who wants the absolute latest, be sure that you check your reputable and reliable news sources, which we hope include Minnesota News Network. The final round of the legislative session started Thursday morning. Say one, two, three,
2: veto. How's that? One, two,
1: three, veto! Governor Mark Dayton vetoed Republicans' tax cut bill, surrounded by students at an elementary school in St. Paul. I'm vetoing the bill because they have not met
3: the um, condition I set, which is to um, include the uh, emergency school aid, and also because it's a bill that's skewed toward the rich. You see all these children here, their futures depend on getting quality education. They depend on the great teachers, social workers, and other support people who are dedicated. To their advancement and, and to have the quality of education that their whole futures depend on. And instead of that, this
1: bill. Gives cake to the rich and big corporations, and crumbs to people who need it. Senate Tax Committee Chair Republican Roger Chamberlain responds: 2.1 million taxpayers who get a tax cut. That's not a special interest. Farmers and
3: estates and small businesses, so they can plan estates and not be killed by property taxes. That's not special interest. Jobs and opportunity for every citizen in the state. That's not special interest. We, are, we have also increased taxes on business here. We've come his way. We're not beholden a special interest. We're beholden to the citizens of this state. Our bill will provide relief for 99.8% of the filers, 82% will see re- reductions in savings, and 70% are under $80,000 AGI. Special interest is not a, a cop and a nurse, a plumber and an office professional.
1: So much for laying out the battle lines on the tax cut issue. As for Governor Dayton's demand of $138 million in emergency education funding, Republican leaders initially said it's too late in the session to consider it. But they softened their stance as the week progressed. We're trying to figure out, is there something that we can do to accommodate the governor? Uh, I don't know that we'll find a solution, but we're going to give it our best shot to try to do that. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka on Wednesday afternoon and House
4: Speaker Kurt Daut said... Is it totally off the table? I don't know. That's up to the, the members, and we're going to have those conversations. But right now, it literally doesn't fit into the budget that we have.
1: Well, by the time the governor had vetoed the tax bill on Thursday morning... It sounds like you're willing to talk with him about some
4: amount of Ed funding. Um, what do you think might be might be doable, Mr. You know, if Speaker, we're gonna if we're gonna pass emergency budget? education funding, we should actually pass it for the schools that are in an emergency situation and need it. The governor's plan gives money to every school, um, including the vast majority of them that don't have a, a budget problem right now. Um, so we really, uh, you know, and that's what the legislature does. We get our arms wrapped around what the problem is. We do that through public hearings uh, in a transparent setting where everyone can come in and testify and give their opinion on whether it's a good idea or not. Um, we want to make sure that we're using our tax dollars wisely we certainly support our schools we support our teachers what we don't like is the governor trying to use our kids and our teachers as a political ploy uh, to try to get people at table for for something that has never been vetted um, this is really a stunt on the governor's behalf um, and what we want to do is sit down and figure out is there a way we can help the schools that have a real problem um, and if that's necessary we will be at the table um, but this is a bigger issue than just abroad we're going to give up a, a bunch of money to every school without a plan. So no Thank, you. Thank
1: you. Among all the issues still on lawmakers' plates as the legislative clock ticks down to Sunday at midnight, one big item is a bonding bill for State Public Works Project. Republicans' $825 million package passed the House on Monday with room to spare. But in the Senate...
4: Secretary will close the roll. There being 34 ayes and 33 nays, the motion is not adopted. The bill does fail.
1: We talked with Senate Minority Leader Tom Bach right after that vote.
4: It's just too small. There's too many things not in it. It's not that there's bad stuff in it. It's just that there's too small. There were about $3.5 billion of requests for this bill, and to think that you can winnow it down to $835 million is just uh, that dog's not going to hunt.
1: What's the number that that would be workable on GO if it's not 825 and presumably not one and a half billion?
4: where would it be? Well, there's a number somewhere between there, you know, and, and uh, you know we'll we'll uh, I'm willing to split the baby with them uh, between 825 and or whatever ours was 1.5. Are we or whatever talking it was. an even
1: division like Solomon? <laughs>
2: just touching
1: or just slightly below 1 billion, which is kind of that magic number around here. Would that
4: would that work for
1: for your caucus?
4: Uh... Probably not. Uh, there's, there probably are some ways to pass a bill under a billion if there are some other things in it that might have otherwise looked like general fund bonding.
1: Senate Republicans' bonding point man, Rochester Senator Dave Sandham, says about that.
5: I would just urge Senator Bach to, you know, think about, you know, what what happened here today and. Uh, and maybe there's some way to work with them uh, in some small, slight fashion, but I don't think in a pronounced way we're going to we're going to work with them. I mean, we've we've got uh, money limitations, frankly, and uh, but you know we got money in other bills that I think we intend to keep there, and so I don't know. We may, perhaps we can inkle it up a little bit, but I, I don't sense when they when cross match uh, our bill eighty twenty five with one at about 1.5 billion, then we're not even close. If that's what they want, we might as well go home. It's exorbitant. It wouldn't pass. It wouldn't pass the House. Won't pass the Senate. I don't know why they played it. (laughs) I guess they wanted to send a message.
1: That's Senator Dave Sanjum. So, Scott, we are to the point where we'll just have to wait and see what gets done and what doesn't get done by 11.59
0: and 59 seconds on Sunday night. And of course, we'll have the latest when it all goes down. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last year, Minnesota saw a significant jump in fentanyl-related deaths. Fentanyl is a powerful synthetic opioid, which in some forms can be 50 times more powerful than heroin. This deadly drug is also what killed Minnesota music icon Prince. Tasha Radel takes a closer look at what state health officials are calling a public health crisis.
7: Synthetic opioids continue to shatter the lives of hundreds of Minnesota families. In 2017 alone, over 170 people died from synthetic opioids, a 74% increase from 2016. That's according to preliminary data from the Minnesota Department of Health. Of those 172 deaths, 156 had fentanyl listed as contributing to the death on the death certificate. Joining me now is John Raisler with the Minnesota Department of Health.
8: Uh, Fentanyl is a synthetic um, opioid. Um, It seems to be readily uh, made and indeed seems to perhaps be cheaper than some of the natural occurring opioids such as heroin.
7: I know that state health officials have said that this dramatic increase uh, shows that the opioid epidemic in Minnesota has really also become a fentanyl public health crisis. Your comments to that?
8: What I see as I'm looking at these numbers is that the epidemic is changing in morphine uh, in front of us uh, as we're uh, watching it evolve. We're seeing this move from uh, the perhaps um, better control over the prescription opioids. There's been a lot of effort to monitor and control uh, the prescription opioids. Um, uh, physicians and dentists, for example, are Uh, I think, much more aggressive in their watching their opioid prescriptions. We have the PMP program, et cetera, and we see that with the the opioids and methadone. However, where we are seeing an increase is in the synthetic opioids, i.e. the fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs. Those are where the increase has been. We're also seeing, amazingly, at least with this preliminary data, it appears that we may have seen a decrease in the number of heroin deaths. So we're seeing this change over to fentanyl, which is is not so much the fentanyl patches that people may be getting for chronic pain, but this is most likely the illicit fentanyl that is being created in... um, Different laboratories, uh, and then imported into Minnesota.
7: And fentanyl is pretty a pretty powerful drug. Is that I'm I'm a, like I think I had read back in the day that I mean it's equivalent to like giving a an elephant a tranquilizer. Is that fair to say?
8: Yeah, that would be the 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 car fentanyl um, analog of it. Fentanyl actually, the different analogs um, do vary in their um, uh, morphine equivalents uh, along a great spectrum and. Some versions of the fentanyl are very powerful. And, um, and of course, this is relatively cheap to make and appears to be even cheaper than heroin. What I'm hearing from uh, some emergency department docs is that patients are coming in with a, a drug overdose and they are telling the emergency department docs that they took heroin. When they run the blood test, they find out that they actually had fentanyl on board. So even fentanyl is being... Uh, sold on the streets as heroin, in part because I think people have heard and now know how lethal fentanyl can be, and so they're not wanting fentanyl. They're wanting to get uh, heroin, which should be less lethal, supposedly, except that what they're getting is actually fentanyl. This may also be happening in for people who are taking, um, uh, who are buying on the street Uh, prescription opioids, the Vicodin, Percocet, and the like, they actually may be counterfeit pills that are being made with fentanyl. And so when people are thinking that they're taking these semi-synthetic opioids, the Vicodin, the Percocet, the oxycodone, they may actually be getting different fentanyl analogs that have been put into counterfeit pills So this fentanyl piece is really insidiously moving in on us and changing the nature and scope of the opioid overdose epidemic.
7: Well, lots of good information. Anything else you wanted to add today that I didn't bring up?
8: Yeah, the other piece that we're kind of watching that didn't make it into this report today is we're watching the methamphetamine. There are some parts of the state where we're seeing uh, an increase in methamphetamine use and in methamphetamine drug overdoses, mostly in greater Minnesota at this point, but we're monitoring that and we are concerned uh, uh, about the meth as well.
7: Any idea on why meth is kind of um, making a comeback, so to speak?
8: Oh, um, we're, we're... Some of it might be with uh, the speed balls uh, that are being made, and and we saw an increase in the number of cocaine-related deaths as well. Uh, The opioids being um, uh, more of a depressant, the meth being a a stimulant, uh, and some of the drug concoctions are actually mixing these together from reports that I've heard. That might be a really good question to ask uh, law enforcement. Okay. They're more like they're probably more in tune. Some of the, the DEA or the Bureau of uh, Criminal Apprehension may have a better handle on that.
7: Thanks again to my guest, John Raisler, with the Minnesota Department of Health. For more information on synthetic opioids, head to the Department of Health's website at health.state.mn.us and type in opioid dashboard in the search engine. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Visitors will soon have a chance to see in person the monkey mummy that garnered so much attention earlier this year after it was found in the former Minneapolis-Dayton's department store. It's going on display at the Science Museum of Minnesota, and I spoke with the museum's Kim Ramsden all about this monkey business and the mummy's long, strange trip from Dayton's to the Science Museum.
9: Well, uh, the Dayton's project uh, team... uh, After they had discovered uh, the monkey and uh, realized that there was a lot of curiosity uh, and interest in it, uh, they immediately started thinking of local museums as a place for it to go. Uh, And uh, we were on that short list, and it was uh, confirmed um, this week that uh, we will be able to, uh, you know, take the monkey. Uh, be able. We're we have a, with being a science museum. We have uh, good resources to be able to uh, make sure that it's uh, properly taken care of, uh, and uh, can do some interpretation on uh, sort of the natural mummification process that it went through um, because of its untimely demise.
0: And that was kind of going to be my next question, being that you are the science museum and you're kind of associated with education and, and things science related. What is the the educational value of this particular exhibit? Yes,
9: yeah. so we are a place for education, but we're also a place for kind of that mix of fun and learning. So we actually have a lot of items in our um, you know collections or throughout the museum that were part of this mix of the natural world, uh, maybe a little bit of pop culture or just connection to kind of local history. For example, we have Don the gorilla from Como Zoo, uh, you know, who was um, donated to us and we were able to study uh, his skeleton uh, and then we had a donor uh, pay for the taxidermy. So, so Don is there a real, you know, the, the scientific value piece is gone, but as a display item, uh, it's just interesting to, you know, it's a kind of a beloved creature uh, that's still there. So you can learn about him. Uh, so we like that there's this great, you know, there's a lot of um, nostalgia and around, you know, the thinking about the Dayton's building and what great memories that store brought and that experience brought. And so and then the fact that there was a pet store at that time and there's all these different theories about, you know, what had happened to it and how it got out or how it, you know. Uh, So so there's just a lot of kind of public attention. So what we'll do is we'll be able to, you know, be a place that's free. uh, We have the, you know, capacity, uh, but we also have the know-how to take care of it properly. Uh, And then, again, the education comes in this sort of natural mummification process, which basically just means that uh, uh, the animal uh, was in a you know, it kind of enclosed environment um, and, and didn't actually, you know, was able to kind of decay in a, in a mummified state. And I'm not a scientist. I'm just a communications person, so we'll be, still be doing some better <laughs> description of that. So they're just kind of a mix of uh, curiosity, a uh, little bit of education, and, um, and just a community piece. We're a good neighbor uh, to be able, we feel like we're good neighbors to be able to be able to take this in.
0: I'm hoping you can give me the definitive answer on what the origin of this mummified monkey is.
9: You know, a lot, I've, that's a good, okay, so it's a good question to ask about the origin. Uh, at this time, we're not uh, looking into it uh, in that way, but we're just being, you know, we're just going to be able to, uh, you know, mount and kind of display uh, the monkey. But I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, through maybe social media uh, or just, uh, time that maybe we'll be able to find a little bit more about its backstory, or maybe not.
0: And with the recent success that you folks have had there with the uh, the Stranger Things uh, phenomenon and the sweatshirts, I mean, is this going to be a, an opportunity for the Science Museum to do some marketing as well?
9: I definitely will say no. <laughs> uh, what? What? I, I maybe I don't know maybe my, some of my marketing colleagues may disagree but I, I feel like that was really just a, a, a kind of one-time moment and it was a moment in time and uh, you know we, we definitely are always looking for revenue opportunities to be able to advance our mission uh, at this time I don't see that with with uh, Dayton's monkey but who knows
0: uh, has Governor Dayton weighed in at all on the, the fact that this will be an exhibit at the Science Museum? I know he's, he's uh, given his own theories about where it may have come from. The governor worked in the family store back in 1968 when there was a rainforest exhibit featuring monkeys and birds.
3: And Some of you didn't figure out that the monkeys were carnivores. <laughs> <laughs> now, I won't get into graphic detail in, in front of the cameras here. But uh, the next say they had uh, a netting up to segregate and separate the, the birds from the monkeys. And if they said one monkey got out and went into the air duct,
0: has he mentioned anything about the exhibit?
9: Uh, he has not.
0: Kim, do we give the monkey a name? <laughs>
9: uh, I don't think so. But again, this is—it's just been a fun couple days. So we're still—we're still—we're determining that. I don't know if any. Uh, anyone on social media has any names for it.
0: And when will the exhibit be uh, viewable?
9: So we're still in the process of bringing the monkey to the museum, so I don't know yet. Uh, we're we're uh, looking at maybe uh, a summer display. I We need to find out how long it'll take uh, to be able to prepare the monkey uh, for, uh, for its new home. A temporary
0: home. Thank you again to my guest from the Science Museum of Minnesota, Kim Ramsden. Minnesota Matters will return after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love Love
1: your son, you need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere, and you need to make some breakfast.
0: Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just... A constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything
9: else.
1: Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411
0: or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This week, three men from Florida are on the Mississippi River headed south, trying to break the record for paddling the length of the waterway. J.W. Cox talked with one river expert about the journey and why we're still drawn to the historic waterway. From
2: Lake Itasca to the Port of New Orleans, all via paddle. The story and the goal are not new, but for one researcher, there is comfort to be found in the mystery and enchantment of the Big River.
5: Well, I'm glad to see that people still have a sense of adventure and that the uh, they think that the Mississippi is a landscape for that. Um, I have a Google alert for Mississippi River, and so when a, a trip is on like that, that's getting attention in the press downstream, I see it. And i um, thinking, good for those guys.
2: Professor Patrick Nunnally studies river life as part of the Institute of Advanced Study at the U of M. He says the goal of these paddlers is setting a record. but The journey down the river can be eye-opening in many other ways.
5: The river has been in people's imaginations as long as people have lived alongside it. I mean, I think the generally understood derivation of the name is from a Ojibwe word for great water or great river. The Dakota people have lived here on the Mississippi for 10,000 years or so. So there's always been this attraction. Uh, more recently people will go and test themselves on the river just to um, learn about themselves there are people who've taken the river uh, trip to learn about america to see if the country has changed, see how the river's changed. They always come back with something more than they went out expecting to find. They'll find the country and they will find the better nature of the country and they'll also see Water that is cleaner than it has been in probably 150 or 200 years, but still needs more cleaning up to do.
2: Nunnally says the challenges will change for the men as they continue south.
5: They're going to encounter a very, very uh, different set of challenges from up here, where the river's relatively small, to where they get down to New Orleans, where it's a... The port of South Louisiana is one of the largest ocean-going ports in in the country. They will will find hazards from just the water itself a very dangerous uh, waterway for small craft uh, below the Ohio, certainly. But they will also find lots of what are called river angels, which are people now that have started setting up through social media networks uh, themselves as places that somebody can go too, if they um, are out of food or there's some, been some accident and they need repair to their equipment.
2: In no uncertain terms, not only said whether or not the men break the record time, their journey will have an impact.
5: I remember the, the book Old Glory by Jonathan Raven, the travel writer. Raven did this trip in, in the, the 1970s, and he really found that the most interesting parts of the journey were not, in fact, the water but were the communities alongside. And that was something I think that really surprised him. He sort of was coming out here replicating the Huckleberry Finn model, which is all of the good things happen on the water, and whenever you're on shore, you got trouble. And Raven found that not to be the case. In fact, somewhat reversed. And, and I have talked to a few people who've made trips, and they find that they are surprised by how open communities are all up and down the river to travelers who are passing through.
2: According to Nunnally, all Minnesotans should take the time to appreciate the river that touches so many of our communities, and that's a sentiment seen in their approach to research.
5: We take our starting point as the fact that the university is on both sides of the Mississippi, on one of the great rivers of the world, that means that we look at the Mississippi. We have a responsibility to the Mississippi, but we understand the Mississippi as a water network.
2: Nunnally says for those with a spark of curiosity about the river, a great place to start with a legendary book.
5: I think you you still want to read Twain, you know. I mean, lots of people read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in high school. Life on the Mississippi actually has a lot in it about what it takes to learn to live with the river, and so you update that, and you look at things like Eddie L. Harris's book, um, Mississippi Solo, or Raymond's uh, book, um, Old Glory, the two that I mentioned before. I think if anybody wanted to to go to Google or go to Amazon and and type in Mississippi River, uh, you would find a wealth of stuff, and a lot of it's really pretty good.
2: As for the paddlers, Nunnally says he'll keep a close eye on their progress from afar as they try to average six miles an hour all day, every day, to reach New Orleans before months end and break the record. Scott, back to you.
0: Thanks, J.W. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.